This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindari Wall. And welcome to The Loop. Summer has officially kicked off in the city, and you may be jumping on your bike to get around, maybe go out and grab a drink or a snack, or just get outside and get moving. I know I'm particularly hyped to be back on two wheels. Man, nice. are you a biker? I, I'm kind of a fair weather biker, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I looked at the mountain bike. It was hanging up in the garage the uh, day before yesterday, and the, the tires need some inflating and uh, maybe a couple of, you know, the chain needs a little oil, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll get on it. Yeah, but you looked at it. That yeah, counts. I looked at that it. Counts. It's going to come down. <laughs> I'm going to bring it down off of the hook. <laughs> I think I think that's one of my favorite things about summer is seeing all the bikes emerge from people's garages. Yes. Yeah. It, it is nice to see. And my bike, uh, it's it's a bike that used to belong to my brother, but I've kind of just taken it. Oh, there you go. And uh, it's old school and uh, still, still, you know, 30 plus years old, but uh, still perfect. Yeah. And, and of all the trends that we see this time of year, there is one big one yeah. kind of happening. Uh, tell me about cargo bikes. Of course, as you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of people getting into their bikes and Edmonton's bike community just, it seems to be growing every day, day by day, and for good reason. Uh, As long as I can remember, uh, you know, riding through the River Valley has been amazing because it it seems like you just discover a new trail every time you're out. Yeah, 100%. And and you can. I mean, there's over 160 kilometers of paved and dirt trails throughout the city and the River Valley. And recently, the council also voted uh, to uh, fund the $100 million to, to put in place a citywide bike lane network. Which would be huge. That's that's progressive, right? Yeah. Whether you're into bikes or not, I mean, that's how these communities started at some point in other parts of the world. We're getting there. You know, accidentally, I stumbled across this <laughs> subset of bikers in our city who have taken their transit to a whole new level with something called a cargo bike. So uh, how did you stumble across this particular community? Uh, innocently enough, I saw this video of Michael Jans, City Councilor Michael Jans, uh, riding a cargo bike with uh, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi as <laughs> in the cargo hold, right, in, in, the, in the bucket. And it was uh, in Churchill Square, and I was like, what? What is that? Like, what? what is he riding? I thought maybe it was some sort of gimmick or something like that. Like a wheelbarrow with Absolutely. wheels in the back or something. No, it's exactly what it is, right? And so I kind of looked into it, and then I got in touch with uh, Greg Glatz, who's uh, with uh, Bike Edmonton. And, and he said, well, you, you got to talk about you got We got to talk about it, right? There's a <laughs> bunch of people in this city who have kind of made it a part of their lives. And, of course, Bike Edmonton, if people aren't familiar with them, they do everything from selling, like, refurbished bikes. Uh, they'll help you fix your bike. They teach people how to ride ride bikes. You know, they, they, of course, they love and promote the idea of cargo bikes because of the affordability and the accessibility that it provides. If you own a car, we all know how much it costs from insurance to registration to maintenance to gas. Yep. That cost has a lot of people talking about alternatives, and that's kind of where the two-wheel option has come in with cargo bikes. Here's more from Greg. The cost of driving a car is somewhere around $11,000 a year. That's paying you know, the payments on it, that's the maintenance on it, that's the gas. And that's just too much for a lot of people to spend. You can get a cargo bike for half that, double that, or a quarter of that. There's a lot of different ranges you can buy in. Uh, and your costs go down. And that that cost that you pay up front comes very, very low maintenance costs, no fuel costs. And it basically allows you to get around the city or wherever you need to go for a very low price. And then the the accessibility is the other factor. I mean, you're talking today to two moms who are riding cargo bikes to get their their stuff and their kids where they need to go. The idea that um, 
two moms are, are taking uh, their cargo wherever it needs to go and don't have to use a car for that is pretty revolutionary. And that's where the technology has brought us. And so we want to encourage people, especially as the city is trying to get modal share up for active transportation, to look at cargo bikes as a possibility. You can get them, you can get the naturally aspirated version, you can get the electric version. The price is more for electric, but you get more help getting your stuff around. But it really it has become a viable mainstream option for average everyday people who want to ride a bike. Yeah, so I, as we talked about earlier, I mean, there's a handful of users that I know of now in our city. And uh, those riders tell me that they get stopped all the time when they're riding these bikes because yeah. they are different. They're a little longer. They're li- they're little, I mean, they look a little more solid. And uh, Well, let's describe this because I, yeah. I use the word wheelbarrow. You're right. talking longer, bigger. Like, talk to me. What, sure. what does a cargo bike actually look like? Because when I hear cargo, I think of pain. You can put pretty much anything in it. And it's it's about like, I want to say about three and a half, three, three and a half feet long and probably about two feet wide. Um, I was able to fit in it. Yeah, it's got that a bench. just big bin off the front of it. Yeah, exactly. And so with a wheel and a seat and a steering uh, column <laughs> or steering handlebars behind you. Wild. And then there's a wheel at the front underneath you. Huh. And there's rods that go along the bottom. And uh, that that helps with the steering because that is quite a. I mean, nine feet is pretty long. That's, that's a, not nothing. That's like a, that's... that's a tall drink of bike, right? <laughs> yes. So, um, but but they but they look they don't they may sound like they're kind of cumbersome or you know maybe not all that agile. But uh, I was surprised. I got into one and um, they're pretty sturdy. I mean, I'm about six two, two hundred twenty pounds, and it took a little while for uh, the person whose bike uh, it was, Lisa Brown's bike, for me to get in there and for her to get used to it. But uh, uh, we had some fun. All right, let's try this thing here. Okay, I'll, uh, so I'll climb in and just sit on the chair yeah. and then just hold on, right? Okay. Oh, it's very stable. That's actually pretty comfy. Well, I feel like I'm uh, <laughs> I'm probably your biggest uh, passenger in yeah, this thing. It's a different feeling. I've ridden in the front there, and it's... Yeah, it's a little unnerving. Yeah, it's it is like riding a in a wheelbarrow. Okay, here we go. Oh yeah, a little, little shaky. Yeah, that's pretty good. How does it feel with me in the front? This is the, definitely my heaviest cargo. Nothing against you. Just oh, no. that I'm usually with my have my toddler. Um, just for the record, I'm like almost six two, so I, I am big <laughs> cargo for sure. Yeah. But it's very, very smooth. Yeah, it's, oh, wow. um, it's aluminum frame. Okay. Uh, you'll feel the bumps a little bit, but we won't go too, too fast. We're cruising here. This is pretty cool. We're just in a bike lane right now and uh, going by City Hall and the courthouse in between there. Yeah, felt that bump for sure. <laughs> Okay, I mean that was a block and a half. That wasn't too bad. No, no, it's it does take some getting used to. It's not something I do every day. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's no doubt. Two hundred pounds of cargo in my yeah. bike, but uh, it's doable. It, it is doable. So I mean, you know, you could carry whatever in here, right? I mean, if you're maybe you need some stuff for gardening or some groceries, you could put a whole bunch of stuff in. Oh yeah, we've had bags of cold mix in here. Uh, we get our Christmas tree in our bike every year, three years in a row now. Uh, it's way easier to clean up. <laughs> you can just high pressure wash the bike or whatever. There you have it. They put a Christmas tree on a bike. Yeah. 
That's a visual that I, I really like. I mean, obviously, it's not the way I'm picturing in my head. They probably just put it in the bucket, but I'm yes. like, picturing I mean, it's like sticking out a bit. Tree. Yeah, it's sticking out a, bit, a little bit for sure. But you fit in the bike. I fit in the bike. There's a bench there. It's got, a I think, a three-point harness belt. Yeah. So I can buckle in. And um, I mean, normally she has her kids in there who are much right. younger, much smaller, yeah. and probably a little easier to handle. But I mean, she she handled it pretty good. She said she has wiped out in the, su- in the winter, like, you know, she missed a turn and she kind of hit a snowbank. But, I mean, the bikes are they are solid. Uh, they're, they're, it's not like they're going to break or anything like that, but very utilitarian, right? Well, and it's interesting, too, because you mentioned Christmas, obviously, and then summer. So it is clearly all season. They're pretty mm-hmm. pretty intense about yeah. this cargo bike thing. For sure. I don't know if I can imagine running all my errands on two wheels. Uh, weekend rides, for sure. But I wonder what that transition has been like for them and, and why they even decided to go this route of getting a cargo bike. Yeah, I mean, there's everybody has their own reasons. So for Lisa and her family, they've been riding cargo bikes for, a lot, uh, I think, the last two years. And um, she discovered the cargo bike over in the UK and mm. over in Europe when she was over there and she spent some time in Copenhagen. So bike culture is massive, right? Yep. So it would be easy to kind of see other people doing it and thinking, okay, well, I'm now, A, I'm going to try it. And B, once you do try it, you're like, actually, this is kind of good. I, I like this. <laughs> yeah. or this is something that uh, is for me, right? So she said that everybody over there rides around with these kinds of bikes. And in some cases, some people put up to six kids. I think I just, it, it's like that transition where I'm like, okay, that's over there. Yeah. Edmonton's different. I mean, in your mind, uh, yeah, Edmonton is different. And I mean, <laughs> geographically, yeah, weather-wise, we are a little different. Like, you know, w- what would it be like doing going for that ride in minus 30? I yeah. mean, I, I guess if I'm wearing some Gore-Tex and bundled up and my face is covered, it probably wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. But, Whatever um, you used to. you know, they, they routinely go and get their groceries with it, which would be a, a no-brainer. You could fit, you could probably fit 20 bags in there, to be quite honest. <laughs> so here, here's more from Lisa on just, you know, uh, their transition to to it and, and uh, all the things they do with a, with their bike. Actually, when we were pregnant, um, we started doing some research and discovered that they had made, you know, there are companies out there making electric cargo bikes, which we thought would be important in Edmonton, given that we've got the River Valley. And yeah, and so we, we just did a bunch of research and we were pretty committed to the box bike. Mm. Um, we contacted a few different like vendor or uh, dealers in, yeah. in at Alberta or in Canada for recommendations and settled on our Urban Arrow. And we actually found somebody else in the city who already had one and they let us test drive it, which was very nice of them because it was February and super icy, but they let us ride it around their neighborhood. And we put in an order that day and it arrived three months later. It was like, you know, you had to order them. It was quite, the demand was quite high. Um, so it's manufactured for you and yeah. So you've had, had it how long now? Since July, 2021. So it's been like a good two years now. Yeah. And, and I should check the odometer. How uh, far have you gone? Uh, we're at 2870 kilometers. kilometers. Yeah. Our, our commute's pretty short. Like there's definitely out there, people out there that are doing 5,000 kilometers a year. So um, you've basically yeah. ridden from here to Vancouver and back and then some. I guess so. I guess so. I've well done. That way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, has this replaced your vehicle or is it kind of a little bit of both or how does it work at, at, at your home? Yeah. So we do have one car. Um, we tend to, if we can ride a bike or walk, that's our primary mode of transportation. Um, we live in Oliver and we both work downtown. Our daughter goes to daycare in downtown. So we use the bike for commuting year round every day. And, you know, we still use our car if we have to go outside the city or what have you. Um, but yeah, we try and use our bikes as often as we can. I really love that idea of it just, if it works for you, you know, if you live like in like Summerside, working downtown, that's a bit far, but 
You know, if you've got a shorter commute, maybe it's only 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, if you were commuting 30 minutes and you had the cargo bike, like that is some, you would have Arnold Schwarzenegger legs. Well, and I think that's the thing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like they're seriously committed to a bike, but they have a car as a side piece. That's true. For those longer commutes or for going places. But did you meet anyone who's actually downsized full time to a cargo bike? So I did. And uh, her name is Kelly Granigan. And she and her husband and their two kids rely on their two cargo bikes all of the time which I was like, okay, we need to have a talk about this. Like, how is this working, right? So they've been riding for over six years. So they've been doing this for a while. And I think at some point they, they got to uh, a decision where they they thought, okay, we're using these bikes more than we are the car. Yeah. And, you know, the way they're uh, uh, set up is as far as where they live and where they are in their life and work-wise and all of that, it, it, it all kind of fits like a puzzle for them, right? So she was introduced to cargo bikes uh, after her own bike was stolen And then uh, they pretty much started looking for a replacement shortly after that. Used to be when we started, we knew every person in town with a cargo bike. And now I'm seeing people all over the place that I don't know. And I'm just so excited to meet new people with cargo bikes all the time. I see more and more people picking it up all the time. And we're proud to be part of it. My family's car free. We're living in Edmonton with with two school-age kids and no car. And we like it that way and it's much cheaper. It saves us like $12,000 a year in car stuff. And... Our main problem with having a car was we weren't driving it enough because we would rather bike. <laughs> and so you were, you were already doing that, right? We were already doing it, and then the car wouldn't start anymore. And what was the point of having a car if it wasn't reliable and starting because you didn't drive it enough? So pretty soon we were car free. But yeah, I do have a driver's license. We have a membership in the car share. So if we do want to go out of town or to an area of the city where it's harder to bike to because there's no bike lanes, then we'll just pick up a a rental car that I know will work and I'm not responsible for maintaining. And it's so much cheaper to just grab a car share. But uh, from the money front, we, we, we have a lot less expenses just not having a car. It means that it makes it easier that we could go on one more vacation or um, increase our food budget without worrying about the inflation too much. I know people that have gone car-free because of us. That's Uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, it's a really cool feeling to go, oh, I inspired that other person to go car-free. That's really cool. And so I believe it's really important to talk about these things and show people that there are other options. We're not trying to take away anyone's car. If you need a car, go ahead, drive your car. We just want to make sure that you know that there are other options. A very unique position. Yeah. But it is interesting how well it works for them in a city like Edmonton. I mean, it, it was funny. I also asked her about the price of gas and, and she had no clue, right? She's like, I don't know what the price of gas is these days, right? So, but I mean, if you look at our situation here in Edmonton, I think right. what gas is about a buck 20. It's hovering in and around there right now. Yeah. So uh, for an SUV or a car with a big tank, you, you know, you might be regular gas. You're looking at 80 bucks. I think in Vancouver, it's almost two bucks a liter right now. So that for a tank is close to 130, 140 bucks, depending on how much you drive. Like that is all adding up. It's not going to be cheap to, you know, run your car. I think moving forward, I think people are making decisions on where they live, how much they have to commute, what they can afford close to where they work maybe or where they live their life. And uh, maybe a bike is a part of uh, the solution for them to getting around as opposed to driving a car and having to fill up at 
close to two bucks a liter. Yeah. Well, and I, I know or I've definitely fifty or whatever it is. I, I've seen them around. They look kind of wild. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're different. <laughs> and when you're not used to it, right? It certainly stands out. This is a newer trend in the city. So, what's the reaction that they get from other commuters or just Edmontonians? Yeah. Well, they, as you can imagine, they hear and see the gawkers and hear from them all the time. Lisa and Kelly say most of the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So, which is good because, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the car community, the bike community, uh, it is kind of been a little bit like there's uh, tension yeah and so they both of them said that people are really curious right uh, uh, they have like some you know fun conversations with people like trying to explain to them what what the deal is right <laughs> like what this is all about they in a way they almost ride those bikes like uh, like a badge with a badge of honor right like we are cargo bikers and so uh yeah the questions and looks are often and they totally welcome it uh, here's lisa on some of the stuff she's run into I think there's a fair number of cargo bikes like on our, because we're on the 102F bike lane every day. Um, there's a fair number out there. Um, the funny thing is the like the type of person who stops to ask me about the bike, like, oh, is that electric? Where'd you get it? Super cool. Are guys, like older guys, driving big trucks, oh, like no lifted trucks with the canopy on the back or whatever full of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we do get questions. I don't. I wouldn't say that we're bombarded. Um, but Maybe the truck guys it. like it because you can. You've you've got a you've got a bed right I here. Know, like you're you're carrying stuff. <laughs> We've got the bike bed. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm. We even have a sticker on it that says "One Less F One Fifty. In my family, we don't drive Ford, so that oh, was there that, you wouldn't, go. that wouldn't happen anyway. But sure. uh, yes, yeah, it's it's kind of the truck of the bike world, I guess you could say. I love it. They're like looking down at like the little sibling of ah oh, yes, uh, right the truck, the non motor two wheel <laughs> yeah. version of their their truck, right? Yeah. And just for the record, I mean, Lisa comes from a, r- a rural farming background, so she definitely knows trucks, yeah. and uh, I'm pretty sure it's Chevys in her family. Oh, that's, okay. that's why they're not. Yeah. She's not into Fords. Brand loyalty, I totally yeah, get it. Yeah, absolutely, right? You got to stick to what you know. So there's more and more of these bikes out there. Do you think, I mean, you met a group of very yeah. passionate folks, but do you see more growth for cargo bikes in Edmonton or has it kind of hit its peak? It, well, it sounds like there's more and more people uh, asking about them and buying them and looking into them. So I think, I think, yeah, I think there's, go- there's got to be more growth. Uh, I think more people are, deci- like, you know, as we mentioned, are deciding to live maybe closer to where they work or where they live. And so maybe the car isn't used as much as they used to. I think that is definitely an option that a lot of people are considering. Here's more from Greg, uh, who is the executive director, director of Bike Edmonton. You know, when the discussion was going for the capital budget, uh, one of the councillors made a good point. It's got to be about choice. You can't force people to ride a bike if they don't want to. And I think what's going to happen is as people see more people that look like them riding a bike, they're going to go, hey, I want to try that. And then I think as more people do that, the other people who still aren't riding see even more people riding and it becomes this exponential growth in terms of who's riding a bike in this city. The good news is the city of Edmonton has been and is investing in active transportation infrastructure. So we've got $100 million approved for the bike plan. I know it's controversial. I know people think there are other things that need money in this city. And we agree, there are many important things that need to be funded in this city. But investing in that active transportation infrastructure will make it so much easier for people to adopt active transportation as a way of getting around. And the more momentum that happens, the more momentum that spurs. So we're talking about saving money on other sides. Yeah. But uh, budget for even the bike itself. How much does a cargo bike cost people? Yeah, well, it's not cheap. They told me that right off the get-go. There are several retailers in the city who sell cargo bikes, and they range in price from several thousand dollars all the way up to some that are 
around ten grand or more than ten thousand. Dang. Uh, they they kind of can be custom made. Like I think Lisa's was made to spec. Wow. And, and they decided on 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 what they wanted and and things like that. So yeah, not cheap. And and Greg even talked uh, to me about in the future he he sees like you know how people get loans for cars. There may be loans for cargo bikes. You know. Am I going to ride my bike through the winter? Probably <laughs> not. I, I don't think I'm there. And and A, and Yet. B, I don't think my family would let me, <laughs> right? But maybe when it's an empty, we're empty nests, uh, empty nesters, I, I think it might be a possibility, right? Yeah. Biking around. And then in the winter, just use transit. Hopefully by then, we'll have more than four lines. <laughs> and so <laughs> it might be, a, a, you know, a, an alternative. On the note of getting around town, we can't not talk about the LRT. Edmonton's Valley Line has yet to open, and news this week says it's still going to be that much longer before it does. Of course, this project was originally set to open in December of 2020 with a price tag of $1.8 billion. But this week, Transit announced that while testing is going smoothly... The opening will be delayed as they need to replace signaling cables along the entire 13-kilometer route. Dallas Linskoog from TransEd spoke to CBC Edmonton reporter Ariel Fournier about replacing the cable. So TransEd's been undergoing the uh, system demonstration testing since back in March. Uh, that's a progressive test that utilizes all the trains along the entirety of the alignment and over that period of time, we've seen really good improvements in the, the functionality of the LRT, proving all of the various systems. Uh, a lot of data is gathered when that testing is going on and, and being analyzed by our experts in the field. Uh, and I guess you're saying it's it's not exactly rust, but it, it's, it's similar. Um, it's oxidation. I mean, is that um, in terms of it being a problem. Is that a problem right now? Because in the press release, you said long-term reliability. Was that causing issues with the testing? Uh, we saw early issues that we thought could be related to that. Ultimately, we worked through a lot of different things in the course of the, the demonstration testing and made corrections on the fly. It's very normal through the process of testing and, and demonstrating a system that you're going to come across some things that are um, maybe not working exactly how you, how you expected, make changes, and, and literally the next day, things are working just fine. Um, so like I said before, the performance of the system increased and became more and more stable and better and better as that testing went on to the point where we're announcing now the important thing is that we've, TransEd, we feel we've met the demonstration testing requirements and we're ready for passengers. In the same time, though, we're recognizing that these cables that have some oxidization could cause problems in the future. And it's best now just to take the time to replace those cables while we're finishing up the paperwork and the independent safety certifications that are still required in order to get to passenger service. So that'll happen in concurrence for the vast majority of those cables. Um, the system is safe, the system runs fine. We've had the trains uh, running even with some of these cables being oxidized. We just know that you know, as the operator for this LRT for the next 30 years, and knowing that those cables have to go beyond that as well, we don't want to take any chances that are going to cause service interruptions long-term and be a, a problem that just kind of haunts us for a long time. It's best to make the change and upgrade those cables now. It, what problems would it cause then? Yeah, so so typically what happens is um, if a cable gets too oxidized, the, the signal that that cable carries can get interrupted briefly and it can cause, you know, if you think of it in your TV, a little flickering in the, in the cable and you lose your channel, that sort of thing. There's safety... Uh, redundancies built into the signaling system so that if a signal was to drop, 
um, that doesn't cause a safety hazard. There's redundancy that causes the trains perhaps to have to stop momentarily to get that signal back and our operators and controllers in the control room would do that. The, uh, the system is a line of sight operation. So the drivers of the train, of course, would just stop and wait until they have a, a clearance to go, but it doesn't put the, the public at risk. That's what's really important to understand. Um, these occurrences are occasional and, and quite rare really, but they're enough that we don't want to cause interruptions to service. When, when the trains are running in a busy schedule in the morning peak, as an example, we don't want them to have to stop for 30 seconds while we identify a problem with a signal and get that signal back online. Uh, probably important to note that these devices that, that uh, send signals along those cables, there's hundreds of them along the alignment. So having one fail briefly isn't going to bring the entirety of the system down, but it could cause a small interruption while that localized area is uh, addressed in that moment. We don't want that to happen, so it's best to replace that cable now. We're now almost three years behind schedule for the Valley Line, but this low floor LRT is a big deal and will one day hopefully be a key connection from Millwoods to downtown. The project is a P3, or public-private partnership, and that's become a point of contention for council. It's an agreement between governments and the private sector that forces city council to go through city administration instead of asking questions and applying pressure directly to transed. And a lot of councillors are left frustrated and with a lot of questions. In the meantime, Ward Métis Councillor Ashley Salvador spoke with CBC Edmonton's Jessica Ng. Obviously extremely frustrated and deeply disappointed uh, that we're seeing further delays. This project was supposed to be operational years ago at this point. Uh, so having the infrastructure in place but not having it up to standard uh, is truly a, a maddening position for, for the city, for residents, uh, as well as businesses. Um, and, and as one of the councillors who represents communities along the line, mm-hmm. uh, I'm equally frustrated by TransEd's inability to deliver. As a councillor, though, are you, are you satisfied with the information that you're getting from TransEd? I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I'll often have constituents uh, ask me questions and, and assume that I have additional information, but I don't. And mm-hmm. um, I would say that the the frequency of updates has definitely been lacking. I mean, I, as a, as a representative, uh, I need more information. I need to be able to provide answers to Edmontonians. They deserve answers. They've been waiting far too long for this line to be open. Um, and I think that's one of the, the core challenges that we're dealing with um, when it comes to the P3 model. You know, there is limited ability to get a transparent picture of the development of the project. So that means that um, I can only relay information that has been released to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely share some concerns around a lack of accountability when it comes to the P3 model uh, and and would very much appreciate um, more information and updates and, and a true look and an investigation into why this project has taken so long uh, and, and why it transit is not delivered for us. What are you hearing directly from constituents who are seeing the train go by for months now, four months now, without a single passenger on it through your ward? I am hearing a great deal of anger and frustration from constituents. People expected the line to be operational years ago and in some cases made life decisions around that timeline. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of people and families who bought homes along the line and moved to the area with the intention of using the LRT. You know, they wanted to be able to hop on the LRT to get to work, to go to downtown, to meet their needs. 
and they want to live that transit-oriented lifestyle that we as a city have been striving for for years. So they're watching the testing phase go on and on, and, and as you described, um, empty trains going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they, they share their frustration with me uh, for not being able to accelerate this project. Transed has said the opening date is, quote, coming soon, but no specificity beyond that. How optimistic does that leave you feeling? Well, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic, but at this point, I I have lost confidence in the timeline mm-hmm. that have been presented, and I'm taking, I'll call it a wait-and-see approach. We have, as you, as you mentioned, a blanket later this summer timeline. Uh, which folks might remember was the same timeline as last year. So until TransEd provides us with a firm opening date, uh, I'm not holding my breath. You know, I I appreciate that, um, of course, uh, the the testing phase is incredibly important. We want to, and we will, deliver a line that is is safe and and reliable uh, for riders. But again, the the inability to deliver a a firm timeline, I, I don't think is acceptable. The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and Olivia O. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal, and we want to thank all of you for listening. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. If you want to get in touch with us, you can by doing a number of things, but uh, email is the best way, theloop at cbc.ca. We're also on Twitter. I'm at Min Darwal. I'm at Naminab. And feel free to slide into our DM, send us a message there, leave us a rating or review wherever you download the show, and you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend and get out on the bike. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.